and welcome to the 91st episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Entner. How you doing, Roger? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So, Roger, we're coming up on the end of the quarter soon, and I thought we could talk a little bit about the competitive environment, and in particular, some of the promotions that the wireless carriers have out there right now. Can you tell us a little bit about, that, about what you see in the space right now? Well, I think, you know, the, the industry is working through price increases. We had a stealth price increase of, you know, something like 40 cents at T-Mobile in the January, February time frame, right? Yep. We had an increase from Verizon on the regulatory recovery fee base was like $2 and, and $1. We saw a AT&T price increase for certain legacy plans. And I would say overwhelmingly, you know, T-Mobile is feeling the backlash of, of, of its outrage that it registered that we would never do this. And then promptly they're like, well, you did it and you didn't even talk about it. <laughs> but I felt like the, the the communication for both AT&T and Verizon was, let's say, it's suboptimal, right? Mm-hmm. It could have been communicated a lot better. And as, as you know, we, we have research that shows like more than 40% are actually expressing understanding of the price increases. And so you have a vocal minority that is like very vocal. And then we have now the reshuffling with price plans. So, you know, I think T-Mobile has just started a promo, but I think you know more about that promo than I do. If you can- yeah, so so they're offering up to $1,000 rebate or uh, if, you, if you come in to them, but it's linked to taking their Magenta Max plan, right, which is their kind of ultra premium plan. Everybody's got one of these plans. I think it's like get more at Verizon. Uh, AT&T calls it AT&T Elite, I believe. And Magenta Max is kind of T-Mobile's version of that. What, what's interesting, though, is that it's every line that you bring over has to be a Magenta Max line. So you get $200 per line up to five lines. And Magenta Max is significantly more expensive than you know, what the average T-Mobile customers is paying. You get a lot more for that too. It's probably more than what most people need, unless you're downloading you know 100 gig, hundreds of gigs of, of data on your mobile phone every month, which most people are not. And so, to some extent, you know, when I was working with with customer data a while back, we used to see that there's you know about 10% of folks, give or take, will just get the most expensive best plan out there. Right and whether or not they're going to use it, and this is kind of one of those plans. And T-Mobile's, you know, got a big headline number out there for you know up to up to a thousand dollars. But to do that, you're going to be paying twenty, thirty dollars more per line than the average T-Mobile customer currently is. So it's it's an interesting promotion. You know, everybody talks about how their super premium plans are growing really quickly. This is a good example of that. It, it you know, kind of indicates, I think, that, that T-Mobile wants to continue to grow that that super premium base that. It tends to attract people who you know, previously were at your Verizons and AT&Ts of this world. 
Yeah, and we've also heard, and I don't think this is, has been announced yet, we, we, we look at the other way around, and, and that is uh, we hear that AT&T is changing their top price plan and are actually eliminating the HBO Max offer, right? So we see Verizon going deeper and deeper into the content game, and AT&T, which was the first one to get into and Verizon was the last one to get in, but the first one to get in is the first one to get out, right? One of the things that, that we are hearing is that, you know, the carrier that was first into bundling content with with the wireless subscription, AT&T, that, you know, bundled HBO with the AT&T premium plan in when early 2016, is now the first one to pull out. And that's quite interesting. And, you know, we have a bunch of research on it. And that shows that the advantages for bundling wireless with with content are much more with the content provider than with the wireless provider, right? Yeah, I mean, how I would characterize it, I would say that, you know, for all of the carriers that have kind of bundled with a a top-tier, over-the-top type, Provider. So, for example, you know, Verizon and Disney Plus or AT&T and HBO Max and T-Mobile and Netflix, you see that those carriers have the highest penetration of subs that have that service, right? Yes, but by how much, right? But by how much? That's exactly my point, right? The, in many cases, it's only 3 or 4% percentage points more. So if you're like a Disney, for example, you're launching Disney Plus and Verizon's a great partner for that, right? And I think that... If you're trying to grow your, you know, OTT plans or OTT offering as, as a content provider, the carriers make a lot of sense. The question is, like, what do the carriers get out of the equation? Longer term, I don't, I'm not sure it's much, right? I mean, I know Verizon has talked about how churn is lower among folks that have content subscription plans, things of that nature. We've never seen anything quantified uh, in public to that extent, but it seems like, you know, People are going to get the content that they want, and you know you might get a couple extra percentage points of of penetration by by going with a given carrier. But it's not. But it's not even a couple of percentage points. If you're an up and coming content provider, by all means, partner with the carriers. The carriers are getting, I think, less out of the deal. Yeah, and from what we can tell, the carriers think that they get a lot out of it. And, you know, AT&T, I think, has come to the conclusion that it's not getting that much out of it. And especially because when we look at who gets it offered and who who actually takes it up, that difference is larger than what most people think, right? Right. So you have to, a lot of times you get you get the plan and then you have to either go on the website and activate or, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not just kind of pre-installed on your phone when you walk out of the store. There's There's more kind of, pieces that have yeah, to come into play. Few people, much fewer people than, than what most people think actually do it. But then when you are switching away from your wireless carrier to, like one of my, my friends said, like, you know, I signed up for free Disney Plus with Verizon and then I switched to another carrier and I logged into, into Disney Plus and they're like, well, you have to change your billing information and he did that within a minute and 
you know, the, the pop-up disappeared and everything was like how it used to be, right? So they made it really seamless for people to switch carriers and keep their streaming service. To some extent, I think that, you know, that the rush into content on the carrier side was a way to kind of justify 5G, right? So early on in the 5G cycle, you know, people are looking for applications of, you know, what, what do I do with this newer technology that's presumably faster? And, and video was an easy answer for that. Now, further on down the road, we have things like fixed wireless access, which I think are a much better use of, of 5G technology and 5G spectrum. There's a limit to the resolution of video you can put on your phone where you can tell the difference, right? Unless you are walking around with a giant tablet. That's the thing, you know, saying, oh, you need 5G for video completely denies the rise of video during 4G. And that for a handset, five megabits per second is entirely enough. Unless unless you're like an eagle-eyed person or you like the placebo effect of knowing, oh, I can stream in 4K, you know, or or you could be casting it to your TV, right? So, yeah, but how many people do that? Well, more people in a younger demographic do it than than you think, right? That's my point. Well, but but in the single percentages, it's not like what makes a difference, right? And then they can go on Magenta Max or whatever the Verizon and an AT and T plan is that comes with unlimited speeds, because that's the real the the hawk. I don't know. There are a lot of cord cutters out there, right? And there are a lot of people. Yes. Who have, there are a lot of people who have plans that include content, right? I yes. agree with you that that video is not the best use of five five G. My point was that early on in the five G cycle, before we had things like FWA, you know, before we had carriers that are out there running standalone five G, there wasn't really, I think, a good use case. But these plans came in in twenty sixteen. That's way before five G. Right, but the rise the rise of content, it was near the end of the four G cycle. Uh, right. As uh, carriers were planning five for five G. Right. And you know as well as I do that those planning cycles are quite long. Are long, but that's not the you you have to work with the network that you have. But uh, so you know, it's interesting that, that we see this this change and and I think what we're seeing with it, and I think we're seeing it also with uh, but Verizon with Best Play. And from what we hear, AT&T is building the same thing. And I wouldn't be shocked if T-Mobile is not playing the same thing because they all copy from each other's um, report card, right? Or, or exam card, however you want to look at it, right? All innovation is like quickly adopted by the other. If it works, copy it, right? Right. Well, I mean, I think that the next wave of what we're going to see here is is the same kind of content bundling on the FWA side, right? So we did some research and one of the things we found was that half of the folks who said they might go over and get an FWA, you know, fixed wireless internet plan, said they would want to have some sort of TV content bundled with that, right? And that makes a lot of sense, particularly as folks are cutting the cord. It's your home internet connection. You need to get, you know, if you're Netflix or your Amazon video or HBO Max or whatever it is you're going to watch sitting on the couch, in conjunction with that. So I think that's where this is going from a content perspective. I, I agree with you, though, that I think the, the carriers are moving more towards being kind of a intermediary and a facilitator rather than kind of picking sides on the streaming wars. Yeah. And, you know, the, the offer that we tested was like YouTube TV, like the T, T-Mobile one with, yes, 
linear content is dying, but it's dying not that quickly. And some people still want to have their linear television option. And it's like half of the people who switch, you know, it's half of the people who switch don't want it or don't don't need it, but still interesting, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think some of that has to do with some of the niches out there, right? So I know as, as somebody who likes watching live sports, it's virtually impossible to completely get rid of linear TV. I still have to do something like a direct TV stream in order to get the regional sports net- networks. But I mean, I think there's some some movement among among the those RSNs to you know for the teams to go direct, right? So that's another kind of OTT type thing. I think we'll probably see in the next handful of years. The point though is that the reasons the reasons for getting linear TV or keeping linear TV continue to diminish, right? There's more content out there than than there ever has been. There's lots of really good over the top providers that have huge amounts of of programming that you can watch and unless you want to watch you know live news and things like that you can probably with a little bit of work replace most of what you were getting for linear for a lower price but we'll see there will be a lot of value destruction there because the ten dollars that that the regional sports networks get from from cable from like everybody like almost everybody is not realizable in a in a in a direct to to consumer world. Just like you're seeing it with with ESPN Plus, people get ESPN the, the the Disney Plus bundle, you know, which is Disney Plus for for what seven dollars, and then the if you bundle in Hulu and ESPN Plus, you at thirteen dollars. Yeah, but the corollary there is not you know. RSNs versus ESPN Plus, because ESPN Plus is going to get you some cool shows and things like that. The corollary would be something like a NBA League Pass or a NFL Sunday Ticket, right? And those are hundreds of dollars for the entire season, and you still get blacked out, right, because of the RSNs. And that's the problem, right, is that if somebody wants to just go write a check and watch every game in a particular sport, that's not possible unless you're doing funny things like running VPN. Unless you move away from, from, the, from your yeah, unless you're right? Unless you're bouncing it through somewhere else like with a VPN, and I would know nothing about that, right? I'm, I'm simply saying that, say, you know, the delta between Disney and the Disney Plus and the bundle with it, it's like $6. ESPN gets more than six dollars from every TV provider, uh, from every cable customer. Yeah. So Prime Sports revenue, I think, is behind us, not in front of us. Yeah, I think we'll see. I think we'll see. I think a lot of teams are going to start cutting more direct consumer deals. I, that's, I definitely, I think, on the on the horizon. Yeah. But we'll we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. All right, Roger. That's all we have time for this week. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.